everyone. I'm your co-host, Rach. I'm your co-host, Rebecca. And welcome to the third episode of Ember Island Sayers. Today we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 3, The Southern Air Temple. In this episode, Aang, Katara, and Sokka travel to Aang's home, the aforementioned Southern Air Temple, where they learn about the many lives of the Avatar, and Aang witnesses the devastating effects of the Fire Nation's army. Elsewhere, Zuko stops to repair the big hole in his ship and ends up in a firebending duel against the Fire Nation commander, Zhao. So we're starting a new segment this week, which is something that we learned in this episode. So, Rach, would you like to tell me what you learned in this episode? Sure. (laughs) In this episode, I learned that seal blubber jerky makes a great campfire. And in this episode, I learned that if you want to hit four monks in the face with your cakes, the true secret is in the gooey center. Thank you, Monkeyatso, for that important <laughs> lesson. We've learned so much. We're going to go out there. We're going to build some fires. We're going to make some cakes with gooey centers. And we're going to attack some monks. So <laughs> Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> we're peaceful people here. Or are we? <laughs> You wanted to talk a little bit about, just before we get into the episode proper, you wanted to talk about something else that was happening at that time. Uh, YouTube started in 2005, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how YouTube kind of shaped fandom a little bit and online fandom spaces, and how abridged series were popping up and Avatar the abridged series actually popped up in 2007 and that was actually a really big part of my watching experience of Avatar. (laughs) Avatar Bridge was when the show was already in its later seasons right? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah Mm -hmm. yeah the first four episodes aired during the gap between the second and third season. Okay. So that was really around the time when I started watching. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't even remember, like, how I discovered YouTube. (laughs) I don't remember either. I think there were a lot of, like, viral videos going around that had been uploaded to YouTube. Like, I specifically remember Charlie bit my finger. I don't know if you remember that one. I do remember that one. (laughs) YouTube was such a weird place when it first started. (laughs) Yep, yep. But um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged was actually the first one to sort of kick off this trend of taking the episodes from an anime or a cartoon like Avatar and doing a short little summary of them, but with humor incorporated and voiceovers and new sound effects. So it was really pretty fun. (laughs) It was fun to watch. I don't know if you ever watched any of the abridged series online. So the only one, I've never actually watched any of them. The only one I have heard about is Dragon Ball Z abridged. Okay. Which we talked about Dragon Ball Z that was airing at the time Avatar was on. So uh, it still it still was on, but it had been going for quite a long time. Dragon Ball Z is a very long show. Um, <laughs> it's had many, many seasons. So I'm not sure when exactly in the run of Dragon Ball Z that this Dragon Ball Z abridged started. But I have heard there is many memes that have come about from Dragon Ball (laughs) Z abridged. 
I think have persisted into popular culture. Okay. But I've never actually seen it. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I did want to tell you about one joke that took place in this episode of Avatar Bridge that I think you would enjoy because you like X-Men a lot and it was it's an X-Men related joke. Okay. So let, let me kind of just set the scene a little bit. Uh, the man who created Avatar Bridge, his name was Gan Zingba or Gan Shingba. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. So sorry if I butchered it. But he did like these very humorous comedic voices for each of the characters. And his Zuko voice was kind of like this high pitched whine sort of thing. <laughs> I'll do my best to replicate it, but I'm not making any promises that it'll sound good. But when Zuko rolls up on, on Commander Zhao, he goes, nice sideburns, Wolverine. <laughs> and Commander Zhao goes, how's the eye, Cyclops? <laughs> ah! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And that joke like stuck with me forever because I just I thought it was hilarious when I watched it the first time, even though it's kind of horribly cruel to Zuko. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know Zuko that well, so I don't feel comfortable making judgments about him yet <laughs> and how close he is to Scott Summers. But I have my own opinions about Scott Summers, which I will not share on this podcast. That's pretty great, though. I like that. I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. Maybe I should check some of them out. Maybe... I don't know. It might be good for me to watch a few more episodes first. I don't think the originals are up, but I do think they've been re-uploaded to YouTube. Oh, nice. They're a little, (laughs) like, you know, early 2000s humor is not exactly PC. So some of it I do kind of take a little grievance with, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it is pretty hilarious. (laughs) That's also what I've heard about Dragon Ball Z Abridged is that some of the humor is not really that politically correct. But I think that some of it has, has seems to have stood the test of time. Yeah, the one thing about Avatar Bridge that was a little uh, not that great was they made Uncle Iroh Jewish, like a very stereotypical Jewish man. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> mm. I still think that's a trend, though. Like, I still think that's something that hasn't gone away and it kind of needs to die like that trope kind of needs to die in my opinion (laughs) yeah yeah if you do hear any growls in this podcast then just know that that's my dog (laughs) special guest special guest lucky yes he's very cute and he's sitting on my lap (laughs) so should we get into the episode itself the episode it has kind of two different storylines mm-hmm it makes it a bit different, I think, from the previous two, where it was kind of just following one storyline and we didn't really split off. So I thought maybe we could talk about each one separately because okay. they don't really cross over that much with each other. No, they don't. Do you want to start with the Fire Nation then, since we were talking about Zuko <laughs> and <laughs> Commander Zhao being Wolverine? This is a new character who we get introduced, right? Hmm. I did not know until I read in your notes that he's voiced by Jason Isaacs. Yes, we love Jason Isaacs a we lot. We love Jason Isaacs <laughs> in this house, <laughs> in this podcast, <laughs> in our lives. We think he's great. He's such an awesome actor and just an all-around like really cool dude. <laughs> he really is, yeah. This is what I'm going to sn- put in a reference to my favorite podcast in the world and just say hello to Jason Isaacs. 
And if you know, you know. I Yeah, I didn't realize it was him. And then once I read these notes, I went back and listened. I actually listened to some of his scenes again because I was just like, oh my God, I need to watch these again knowing that it's Jason Isaac. <laughs> so I, I watched and paid special attention to his voice. I don't know that you would ever be able to know unless you actually looked it up, though, because he has a British accent normally, right? So mm-hmm. when I think of his voice, I think of him doing like, Lucius Malfoy or Captain Hook and Peter Pan like I don't really (laughs) think of him doing an American accent (laughs) yeah I think the only time I've heard him yeah it was weird that he was doing an American accent and I think the only other time I've heard him do an American accent is maybe on the West Wing okay he was in the West Wing for a few episodes he had a storyline that is kind of a little bit infamous among people who know the West Wing But I think he did an American accent in that as well, maybe. Okay. And I know he's been in a bunch of other things. Does he do an American accent in the OA or no? Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, you're right. I think that we're not used to necessarily. And I especially, I've listened to a lot of interviews with him and stuff because he is a frequent guest on my favorite podcast. Yeah, I don't think of him as having that voice. So it is hard to tell. Yeah, and I think one time he... He said either in an interview or a tweet or something, they just asked him to come on this show and he had no idea what it was about. And he was just like, okay, whatever, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Is he in a lot of episodes? In the first season, Commander Zhao is pretty heavily featured. Okay, cool. It was interesting to see somebody new in the Fire Nation. And what I thought was really interesting that he brought up was that there is some internal squabbling in the Fire Nation, which I think wasn't particularly clear and the fact that Zuko has been banished yes yes we learned that Zuko is not just on this quest for the funsies he (laughs) he has been banished and he's trying to regain his honor by capturing the avatar and bringing the avatar back to his father yeah that was really surprising to me I wasn't expecting that I kind of expected him to be more of maybe like the you know the son who was trying to impress his dad and so he decided Mm. to just go off and do something cool (laughs) but I I was really surprised to hear that that he'd been banished I yeah I was surprised by how much conflict there was with him and and this other commander who I guess probably feels a bit threatened by the fact that Zuko is so young and Mm -hmm. I guess, advanced in his firebending. At least it seems Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, I mean, he beat him in the Agni Kai, so Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) For a 16-year-old kid, best uh, commander. That scene was really interesting as well, the way that that scene was structured and the way it played out. I, I thought that was a cool scene. One thing I did want to mention is that we talked a little bit about how a lot of people crush on Zuko yes (laughs) and I'm wondering if it has anything to do with this shirtless scene that we get in the third episode it could be because I gotta say for a teenage boy he's pretty ripped isn't he he's pretty ripped (laughs) now that you mention that they show a lot of the boys like shirtless and they really don't sexualize the girls at all hardly I feel like which is good. good one because they're teenagers yeah And I don't feel like it's necessarily in a sexual way, them showing the men shirtless. That's just like their culture, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it was either, but I'm just wondering if there was some people who had an awakening watching that. (laughs) 
I don't know. I didn't watch it when I was a teenager. <laughs> I think you're right, though. <laughs> you know, I also wanted to talk about the the choreography itself, because we were talking a little bit about last time about how all these different bending styles are based on fighting techniques. And so I thought it was really cool the way that the choreography was presented in, in that scene. I really love that that track from the soundtrack that they used during the Agni Kai. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really paying attention to the music actually when I was watching so that's something I'm gonna have to try and pay more attention to because <laughs> that wasn't wasn't my first focus but now that you said that I will definitely in future episodes listen out for the music what I also thought was interesting about it was the way that they both behave in the fight right mm-hmm. because we have this commander who would we would expect to be sort of the bigger man he is literally the bigger man but we would expect him to be the bigger man in the fight and then we see him behave in a very underhand way at the end I didn't really pick up on that before when I watched but to me that stood out because it sort of showed the fire nation etiquette and how it's dishonorable to attack your opponent after they concede defeat and when they attacked the airbenders did they have any sort of etiquette or did they just kind of murder them all? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I wonder if they are kind of hypocritical in that they don't apply the same rules that in combat to other nations that they would themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that because the airbenders have this very peaceful culture, pacifism, and I really do think they took advantage of that. I think even if the airbenders had kind of held up their hands and defeat, like, okay, we surrender, you win. The Fire Nation still wasn't going (laughs) to stop killing them, so. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's super interesting to think about. You had mentioned in your notes that you thought we got to see another side to Zuko in this battle. Yeah, I think it also just shows his, he's a little bit vulnerable in this position, and he, he's trying to be honorable at the same time trying to show that he is strong and he is in control and that's a hard balance to strike when you're going up against someone who is supposed to be on your side. It is a unusual dynamic because again it's this idea where you have an older general who's going up against somebody who is younger than him but also has a lot of power in a way I think the tendency is that for somebody in that position is to just be quite dismissive and you get to see that Zuko is maybe thinking about things on a deeper level than he is yeah I think we are starting to see some of the cracks too within the Fire Nation and how Zuko views his own culture because I think that he's been brought up to really really want to honor that culture but at the same time it's the culture that banished him (laughs) Mm -hmm. so how do you (laughs) come to terms with that when you're a 16 year old kid that's really difficult and I'm wondering why they did banish him because obviously I don't know that part yet Mm -hmm. and they allude to another battle that or another duel that went wrong 
Yeah, Iroh says, remember the last time that you dueled somebody. <laughs> yeah, so I'm interested to know who it was that he dueled and, and how how that led to his banishment. And he, I imagine that even though he's obviously trying to regain his father's favor, that he carries some resentment because mm. of that. Yeah, I also noticed the camera work this time around in that scene, how it panned from one side of Zuko's face to the side where he had the scar and that was some really beautiful foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that. A couple more things that I wanted to mention about the Zuko side of things was that first of all, he and Iroh are terrible liars. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is, that's a reoccurring theme throughout the whole show so. both of them are terrible liars or just everyone both of them Zuko okay. and Iroh are yeah. not good at lying at all they're so bad and then the crew on their ship are even worse I think the crew on their ship just don't care they just straight up tell Commander Zhao that Zuko had the avatar running around the ship right so I don't know if they all hate him or if they just don't care I guess these are like the lower ranking people in the Fire Nation military because they're serving a banished prince. Right. So I guess they're kind of like, well, why do we have to follow orders from this 16 year old disgraced kid? <laughs> I don't even know if he, they were given to him or if he just like recruited random people. I don't right. know. <laughs> so maybe they just don't care. I think I'm going to have to introduce a recurring segment to this podcast, which is where I talk about Iroh's great taste in food and beverages. <laughs> Sponsor from Iroh on ginseng tea. <laughs> I just loved how obsessed he was with the ginseng tea. And I feel you, Iroh. Last week it was the duck. This week it's the tea. And I just think he's he has his values in place, you know? He really does. <laughs> Yeah, I guess going off of that, the one last thing I wanted to mention about Zuko's storyline was how at the end, Iroh sort of stuck up for him and placed himself between Zhao and Zuko and said, you know, this kid has way more honor than you do. And how Zuko was surprised that Iroh said that about him. I think Zuko is very self-deprecating and doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in himself so to hear that from Iroh was it was good for him that's a really good point because it also wasn't clear in the previous two episodes whether Iroh had any respect for Zuko really because it seemed like he was just kind of tagging along to mm -hmm. watch over Zuko and I'm assuming that since Iroh is his uncle I'm assuming it's probably like his father's brother and so it's probably a case of like his father just was just like can you watch over this kid who's been banished <laughs> like Zazu or something. And yes. Oh <laughs> that's my God. kind of who Iroh reminds me of. Or like Sebastian in The Little Mermaid. Like, I don't know why we keep going back to Little Mermaid. But <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I started this whole thing. But yeah, you're right. He is like that kind of mentor figure who is not quite the parent, but sort of acts like the parent in some instances, but is also just generally grumpy about this kid but it's nice to see that he actually has some investment in Zuko and he has some respect for Zuko too and I also it was cool to see how powerful Iroh is yes that was awesome I was like yay we finally get to see some action from Iroh because <laughs> <laughs> he's been very quiet up until now and you know I think people assume have a tendency to assume that like oh this old man 
isn't gonna be particularly strong but clearly he's had a lot of training and he was trying to train Zuko in the in mm-hmm. the first episode I guess yeah you, you get just a glimpse of of how powerful he is so that was cool yes for sure <laughs> that was the Fire Nation side of things and then our other our heroes they were traveling to the Southern Air Temple they're kind of waking up and <laughs> Aang's like, I need to clean my room. It's been a hundred years since I cleaned my room, <laughs> which is adorable. Like that's what he thinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really liked their dynamics when they were on the back of Appa and just kind of being kids when they are just hanging out with each other and Yeah, it's fun. kind of it's cute how Katara's like, Oh, I finally have someone else to pick on Sako. <laughs> He and Katara go back and forth a lot, and he gives Katara a hard time a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now Katara's like, ooh, yes. <laughs> right, she has someone to team up with her against her older brother. <laughs> yes. Which is fun. Yeah, they just have a really nice dynamic straight off the bat, I think. And Sokka, I think, is is really interesting because he starts off being so grumpy in this episode. And throughout the episode, he kind of goes through these moments where he's grumpy again and he's hungry. <laughs> he's very hungry in this episode, which I guess is understandable because Aang used all of his seal blubber jerky to make the fire. <laughs> but as soon as he sees that like Aang is upset, he completely forgets about that. And he's like, let's go play that game, whatever it is. Airball or something. Airball. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. He's like, let's go play. And he sort of you can tell that he has this real he has the ability to care for other people even though he acts the way he does most of the time I think he's really paternal even though you know he's only a 16 year old kid I think he really has this paternal side to him and he's very loving and I I don't know I would want Sokka to be my big brother Aww, <laughs> like, like he's just deep down he's very very sweet and he he cares deeply and is very protective of the people he's close to. Yeah, I agree with that. You had mentioned in your notes that something about parallels between Sokka and Zuko. Zuko, it was mentioned that he had been banished for two years at this point. And mm. so that just reminded me how they talked about how Sokka's father has been absent for two years so it really made me think about the parallels between Sokka and Zuko, how they're both 16 years old and they're the oldest child in their family and how they're trying to navigate that during this time. Yeah, and you can see the differences in how they have approached that. And also, I think, the differences in the company that they keep around them. Yeah. Because Sokka has his whole tribe around him and he has a sister obviously whereas Zuko is he's got Iroh and then he's got the people on the ship who uh, we've already established don't really care about him Zuko is in quite a lonely position compared to Mm. Sokka yes that's very true and that certainly can have an effect I think on how a person ends up and we can see how different Sokka and Zuko are not that that justifies anything the Fire Nation has done. Right. (laughs) Yeah, there's no justifying the genocide. (laughs) No, no, none at all. That kind of goes into the, one of the main themes, I think, in this part is because Aang does discover what happened to his people, which is really sad. Yeah, this is a, this is a hard episode for me. 
because I identify so much with the air nomads, it's hard for me to go back and revisit this episode, even though there's bits of humor dispersed throughout it, it still kind of feels like a very heavy episode. Mm -hmm. So I had a question for you. Do you think that they should have told Aang about, like, when they found that first Fire Nation helmet, Katara does a little bit of water bending to cover it. Do you think they should have told Aang then? I think they could have, and maybe they should have, but that's really Katara's protective nature coming through. <laughs> I think she really just wants to shield Aang from that pain because she has experienced it herself, losing her mother. And I think this is the first episode where we actually get a confirmation that the Fire Nation killed her mother. Because before it was just when mom died is how she referred to it. But we learned that the Fire Nation actually murdered her mother in this episode. So I think she's trying to shield Aang from the pain that she's experienced before. Right. That does make sense. Thinking about it from that perspective. I think you're right that this is the first time that they mention it. She She's a little bit older than Aang, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably also plays into her wanting to protect him because she kind of sees a younger version of herself. That's very true. I think she would have been younger than Aang when she lost her mother, but still around the same sort of age. So in Sokka, you know, he says, you can't hide this from him forever. (laughs) Right. And it turns out to be right. Well, first we get our little flashback where we learn that Aang was raised by Monk Gyatso. Yes, I love Monk Gyatso so much. <laughs> he seems like a really, really cool guy. I will say those cakes looked really weird until I figured out what they were for. And then I was like, okay, as long as you're not eating those, because I don't think I'd want to eat those cakes. I don't know. They look pretty appetizing to me. <laughs> they look weird. They look a little bit like there was this candy that I used to eat when I was a kid and it might not exist here in the U.S. They're called ice gems. No, I've never heard of that. They were like a little biscuit, a very, very little biscuit, and then a little bit of icing on top in like that same shape as the cakes. (laughs) And oh, by biscuit, I mean cookie, like a flat cookie, just plain. And then on top, they had the icing like in a little swirl. I just was reminded of ice gems. Wow, that was weird. Yeah, I thought that scene was really sweet. And you get to see where Aang's kind of sense of fun comes from as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think Aang is pretty burdened by the fact that he's the avatar. And Monkey is like, yeah, you have some responsibilities, but you're still a kid. So. And actually, the way that Aang talks about like not wanting to be the avatar and that kind of stuff brought me back to my Aang as a superhero theory because that's also a lot of if you see a lot of these like superhero narratives where there's somebody who has these powers and they're chosen to do something and oftentimes they don't want it especially because they are young in many cases and they just want to it's like Peter Parker Spider-Man I mean he likes his powers a lot obviously but he also has this burden of like the rest of his life ends up being extremely messed up because of his powers yeah and I just I thought that was cool Let's see another parallel there. Yeah, I don't know if you caught on to the part where Monkey Yatsu says normally they tell the avatars that they are the avatar when they turn 16. Right. And Aang is only 12, <laughs> which is really quite a big 
difference, you know, mm -hmm. going from a 12 year old to a 16 year old, even though you're still a child, I think there is a lot of maturing that you can do between those years. Yeah, so not true. only is he taking on this burden of being the avatar, but he's taking it on four years earlier than he should have to. That's a lot to put on a kid's shoulder. Right, right. And now he's doing it alone because now he doesn't even have anyone else from the entire tribe. Were they a tribe? Uh, the nomads, I guess they would call them. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have anyone else now, so it's it's made it even harder. And that's what we learn about Monk Gyatso is we find that skeleton, which is creepy, and we find out that basically everyone was, was killed by the, the Fire Nation, which is a really sad scene. And he's surrounded by the helmets. He actually managed to take some of them out before he died. Oh, yeah. And that, I didn't really recognize that the first few times I watched this, but when I watched it this time around, I was like, oh, Monkey Atta, like, actually killed people. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is so not the airbender way, but he, I guess he was desperate, and that made it even sadder to me, is that he really, he went against his culture to try to save everybody. Ugh, that hit me in the feels. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. That hadn't even occurred to me. Another part of the of Aang's backstory that we find out is we find out more about being the Avatar and what that means. And they talk about how there's a cycle and how the Avatar each time is a different kind of bender. I thought that was really cool, especially because there is a lot of parallels between the Air Nomads and Buddhists, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that much about Buddhism, but I do know that reincarnation is an important part of of Buddhism. So I, I thought that was an interesting thing to bring in there as well. Yeah, and it was kind of funny how Sokka like kind of denied that it he was like, You don't really believe in this stuff, do you, Katara? And she's like, uh yeah, this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> He's Sokka's a little bit more skeptical. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that bit of kind of information that we got about the lore of the show and then that also ties into bringing it back to the scene where Aang finds Monkyatsu then he goes into the avatar state. Katara calls it his avatar spirit. Okay. Like that's not a consistent thing. I think that's just what she's referring to it as. Okay. It kind of suggests that he is invoking the previous avatars, right? Mm, yeah, like you said in the last episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Communicating I was... with the ancestral plane. I was like, wow, she's really uh, <laughs> predicting this um, a little too close there. <laughs> I don't even know where I got that from. It was just kind of random. That was that was surprisingly close. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we also got a brief, a very brief introduction of Avatar Roku, who was Aang's predecessor. And how Aang kind of like kept going back to Roku, his statue. He just kind of like kept staring at it. And Katara was like, uh, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so Roku is not like a TV thing. I thought Roku no. was a TV thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was really cool too. And what I was wondering is when he's talking to Mangyatsu, uh, Mangyatsu says he has to go into the temple and he will meet someone important isn't that what he says yeah I was wondering if that person is supposed to be Roku or if it's Momo 
Both. Both it's is both. good. <laughs> both is good. <laughs> because we do finally get the introduction of Momo. Yay. Yes. Adorable Momo. That scene, I did not remember how funny that scene was because Sokka wanted to eat Momo. I, I was, was like, laughing what? so hard. <laughs> I felt so bad for Momo because Aang is running after him being like, I'm going to make you my pet. And Sokka's <laughs> running after him like, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> and then like when Aang is like, devastated over Monkey Azzo, his father figure dying. Sokka's like, Aang, I really wasn't going to eat the lemur. <laughs> That's not the problem here, Sokka. Oh, Sokka, bless. No, I, I also really like that scene. That made me laugh a lot. You're right. This episode is on the whole. It's a bit more of a serious episode, but that was a really good, funny moment in the episode. <laughs> Poor Momo. <laughs> I know he suffers so much and then he's so good because at the end he brings a bunch of food yes he's so sweet he's such a sweetheart I love him do you know why Aang decides to name him Momo is that just a random because is a Momo mean cat in some language Momo in Tibetan cooking is a steamed dumpling filled with meat or vegetables do not name your pet after a food after Sokka tried to eat him Aang that is not a good (laughs) idea Well, I just found out that Momo in Japanese means peaches. That's so cute. That's another food. (laughs) So there you go. Momo means either peaches or what was the other thing? In Tibetan culture, it's a steamed dumpling. Steamed dumpling. Okay, there you go. So something round and cute. One big thing that I think kind of plays into this whole episode and kind of comes around at the end and when Aang is in that avatar state, he manages to come out and he talks about the loss of his family and how much he's lost. And Katara tells him that he has a new family now. Mm, yeah. And both of us, I think one of our favorite themes in media in general is this theme of found family. Mm, yeah, for sure. I love it when characters who, you know, either have lost their family or have been excluded from their family, which happens in, for example, X-Men, which I like a lot. I love it when they can come together and make their own family. I think that's just, it's wonderful. Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to me, that's how Aang does come out of the state as Katara kind of talks him down from it, that she's able to communicate with him despite the fact that he's really in this supernatural, (laughs) very powerful state. Katara can still communicate with him. She's she's pretty powerful as Katara. Yes, she is. (laughs) And we haven't even seen her really use her powers much yet, but Mm -hmm. she already is powerful in different ways. So I'm looking forward to seeing her learn some more waterbending. I just wanted to talk briefly about how Aang has to deal with the profound pain of losing not only his family, but his entire race and culture. And how do you reconcile with that when you're a 12-year-old? <laughs> that's so much. And I guess that's another reason why I'm just so in love with his character, because he's able to take what is probably the most painful situation anybody could ever fathom and come out of that and honor his people and be a good person and that's really amazing to me yeah I think that certainly again that kind of ties into the theme of what the people around you can do for you Mm, yeah because again he's not completely alone right if he was completely alone without Katara and Sokka then that might not have gone the same way 
yeah, he could have definitely rained some devastation down on the Fire Nation if he was just trapped in the Avatar state. Yeah, exactly. One thing that does come up when he's in the Avatar state is that he accidentally alerts the world that he's back. Mm, Yeah. Which I think is going to be interesting to see the ramifications of that in the next few episodes. Right, like how is everybody going to feel about that? Because he wasn't around for the past hundred years and they've been fighting this war without him. And (laughs) funnily enough, they call him the messiah of this world in Avatar Abridged, but that kind of is what he is, you know? Yeah, he is kind of, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, and I think that if I'm remembering correctly, the Fire Nation is now sending other people out to find him, right? Yes. Well, do we see, is that Zuko's father who we see? No, it's not. Okay, just a random Fire Nation person. Yeah, I think they're the ones that work in the temple. Oh, okay. So, but I'm guessing that his father will hear about it. Yeah, because they say, go tell the Fire Lord, alert the Fire Lord immediately that the Avatar is back. Right, that's, that's what I, that's probably what I was thinking of. I guess to be continued. We'll see what happens yes. next. <laughs> so, should we go to our sections? Who is the MVP of this episode? Oh, this is a hard one. Because we got two different storylines going on. I almost feel like Zuko is the MVP of one of them. Mm. Because we do get to see another side to him. And he does act in a very honorable way. And I appreciate them giving Zuko a lot of humanity. And giving us another antagonist in this season. So that we can kind of look at them from different perspectives. And and see like who's really the bad guy here sort of thing so Mm -hmm. I really did enjoy watching Zuko in this episode but I also think that Katara is (laughs) the MVP again because she manages to talk Aang down from his grief and his really just really hard (laughs) to deal with situation like you said she's extremely powerful to be able to do that I would agree with both of those I also want to give a shout out to Iroh (laughs) reoccurring theme (laughs) yes (laughs) because of that that scene that you mentioned at the end he does kind of acknowledge what Zuko has done and he also just stops Zhao in his tracks so that was pretty cool. And also a shout out to Momo, because I love Momo. <laughs> I knew you would love Momo. <laughs> He's so cute. I also love Momo's theme music. I don't know if you noticed. He has no, like, I didn't. theme music every time he comes on. It's really, pay attention to that the next time, because it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my my homework for next episode, is paying a lot of attention to the music. Because I, I often don't, especially if I'm watching something for the first time, I think I, it's hard for you to take in everything all at once. Yeah. Yes, since I, this is like my fifth or sixth time watching, like, of course, I'm paying attention to the little details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I certainly found that with, with Lost, uh, when I rewatched Lost recently, that I was paying attention to things that I hadn't paid attention to the first time around. But yeah, but I think it's good also for maybe somebody who's listening to this podcast, if they're watching Avatar for the first time, that they can have that tip too, that they can listen out for the music. What was your most memorable moment from this episode? Most memorable moment for me was, I think it was the flashback mm, okay. that, uh, with Aang in 
the Southern Air Temple and Monk Yatso. I really liked the way it was styled and you have the, the color palette was slightly warmer, mm-hmm. which gave this idea of like, you know, the kind of the golden days of the past. Yeah. I really liked that little interaction between the two. I thought it, it delivered exposition in a way that wasn't super clunky. But I will also give a secondary shout out to just the moment when Iroh kind of stops Zhao's fist. I really like that. Yeah, that was the way that was framed was just such a cool moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That well, I didn't pick a funny one this time. I I would kind of went for more significant mm-hmm. moments. Yeah. How about you? Well, I was gonna say uh, when Sokka tries to eat Momo, but I think we already. <laughs> <laughs> that no, was that... a really good moment. <laughs> that was just so funny. Like I was legitimately cracking up, and I've seen this so many times, and I was still cracking up, and I had forgotten that. Saka tried to eat Momo. <laughs> I guess the camera work, if you want to call it that, I don't know how else you would describe it. But I think it it was very well done in this episode. And it's actually a different animation studio that did this episode. There are two studios that do the animation for Avatar. They're both Korean studios, actually. Oh. I just found that out. And even though the characters, to me, are they still look a little bit off like the noses in particular were a little weird this episode I don't know okay (laughs) no I did not (laughs) yeah the character work is still not really consistent but I do think the way they used camera angles and the choreography was very well done I really did think that moment where they panned across Zuko's face was really a profound moment. I enjoy that a lot. I think that's a good thing to highlight because I feel like oftentimes with animation, we don't focus on that because it's animation. Mm, yeah. And, you know, animation can also be well-directed or not well-directed just because it's animation doesn't mean that it's immune to that. So uh, that's I, think, true. <laughs> I think that's a really good, really good point. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of our episode. We wanted to share with you guys that we have some social media handles now. Well, we have one. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Ember Island Sayers. And you can also email us at Ember Island Sayers at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, suggestions. We are working on getting up a YouTube channel and hopefully in the future we will also be up on Apple Podcasts so you can leave us a review. Next time we will be discussing the Warriors of Kyoshi episode four and I just wanted to say before we go I'm very excited for you to watch this episode because it is the introduction of a character that I think you will really like. (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. I'm excited. Thank you for listening. Yeah, stay flaming. Stay flaming. Still don't know what that means.